Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Saca la apertura para Zinchenko, levanta la cabeza Zinchenko, vagaba con el centro, prefiere ponerla para Martinelli, Martinelli que se marcha otra vez más de Eili, la pone Martinelli, gol, 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 This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. Not, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. I'm joined this morning by Ryan Hun, co-host of the Stadio podcast. Good morning to you, Ryan. Hey, Andrew. How are you? I'm good. And I suppose I should tell people, if they're not already aware, the reason James is not here is because over the weekend, he and his wife, Camille, welcomed a baby boy into the world. So... I think it's fair enough to give him a little bit of uh, time to adjust to the new family settings. And we send our huge congratulations and lots of love to James and Camille and baby Bakayo Mickey McNicholas. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to call him yet, but we'll find out in due course. Yeah, congrats, James. And uh, to be honest, I was, a bit, I was a bit nervous that, you know, when Arsenal announced their lineups and they're like, everyone's like, Rob Holding, Rob Holding. <laughs> I was a bit like, who's this guy doing the Arscast extra instead of James? But well, yeah. Look, it is I'm it right. is what it is. But you're here, and you know you're you're a, a known voice because we've talked before on the Arscast mm. and and everything else. Um, how are you feeling about where we are right now? Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the Leeds game, uh, things at Arsenal in comparison to other clubs, which I'm sure we'll reference a bit later on. Mm. Um, you know, they're kind of smooth, plain sailing, if that makes sense. If it's not underplaying what we're doing. It's weird, isn't it? Mm. It's really weird to be in going into April and th- kind of looking over our shoulder. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's felt like it's been a while. Um, but I'm 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 great. I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm I uh, went back and found some stuff after the the Brentford defeat at the beginning of last season and my oh. big picture stuff. Yeah. But hey, you know, it's the first game of the season. Let's just all chill out and wait a little bit. Mm. Not going to fix anything now. And um, I'm 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 remembering how stressful it was points last season and this season in comparison has just felt like a bit of a breeze. It's weirdly a diff- so. Yeah, it's a different kind of stress, isn't it? Now, mm. well, I think if you think in, in in a season where I think football in general has just felt like a lot, there's been a lot. Mm. You know, the Tuchel Conte handshake was this season, for example, <laughs> uh, not 2017, yeah. which is what it feels like. Um, 
I know there have been a few bumps here and there, but overall, in, in, in the football sense for Arsenal this season, it's been, you know, <laughs> there's, nothing, there's no notes really. You know, it's just smooth sailing, very like way ahead of schedule, very positive, and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm here for that all right how much do you, i mean how much do you think the world cup played a part in that perception of things that happened not so long ago feeling like it was ages away yeah. like you mentioned that handshake between tuchel and, and conte that weird strange <laughs> dance that they did together it was like what is this this is quite i'm living in it you know what it is it's like if you asked one of those ai art generators to <laughs> you know create a video of two football managers having a, uh, a weird handshake that's what they would have come up with yeah it's the chat was it chat well, gpt chat, gpt mm. uh touchline manager beef yeah. enter and that's it <laughs> But yeah, I think the World Cup, uh, to answer your question, I think the World Cup has played a part in that. And I think also just because of, um, I don't want to kind of go there too soon into the podcast, but I feel like because of all of the noise around the World Cup and just things in general this season, mm. there feels like there has been a lot of off-field stuff that has been quite uh, prominent in, or, or really important to talk about in football at the top level this season. Mm. So I feel like the combination of having a, a you know an, an international tournament in the middle of the season anyway, and then with everything that went with it, I feel like it's just made this season feel like <laughs> two and a half seasons long. Well, we, that means we've probably got a whole season to go between now and the end of May. But, uh, you know. Yeah, it's going to feel like that. I think. It might do. It might do. I think these gaps between games are going to be so interesting. Um, you know, because we, we do, you know, I think there might be a couple of midweek games. Obviously, the Man City game is a midweek game. But for the most part, it's sort of like, a you know, a weekend game, a weekend game, mm. a weekend game. So you've got to, you've got to fill all this time in the middle. But... Let's talk about Leeds. Let's talk about what we did at the weekend. Um, home game, seventh successive win, which is, you know, considering the way people were talking after the Manchester City game, which also feels like ages ago now. Yeah. But, you know, uh, the idea that because they had got on top of the table with that victory at the Emirates a few weeks ago, the the question was asked of Arsenal, are they capable? Are they able to deal with, the pressure and there've been points of pressure throughout this season, I think. But then you looked at the games to come, and I'm not saying any of these games were easy games because you're playing against teams that are, you know, scrapping for points mm. to avoid relegation. Um, you take nothing for granted in the Premier League, but to come through this seven-game run with 21 points is really impressive and says a lot about the way that this team is set up given that we've had some fluctuations in in team selection we saw that on Saturday as well no William Saliba yeah. so Rob Holding came in no Bukayo Saka for the first time uh, starting mm -hmm. he didn't start for the first time this season there was some talk of um, illness in the camp Ben White uh, rumored to be uh, under the weather as well I think Mikel Arteta talked a little bit about it but there is a, a determination you know, amongst this group to prove people wrong if that's as much as it is. They're obviously not doing it for that reason, that reason alone, but they're doing it um, by virtue of the results that they're putting in. Yeah, they seem to have this really um, strong ability to just go game by game this season. It's, it's felt in the past that some Arsenal squads, especially over the last decade, have felt a little bit overwhelmed by the bigger picture sometimes. Mm. And you can see that play out into a, a run of games or a run of performances that they don't look too great or moments in games where people all, or they all of a sudden realise where they are or what they're playing for 
feel like what's, what feels really different about this squad this season is that even though they're young, and obviously Arteta is not what you would... I mean, I suppose he is fairly experienced now. He's had a few seasons as a, as a head coach. But they don't really seem overwhelmed by what's at stake or mm. and, and their ability to respond to setbacks. They had that wobble, obviously. There was a few games that we called a blip. But I don't think anyone can win the league in the Premier League now. When you look at how deep the, the league goes, or, or the fact that this is... I think Duncan Alexander from The Athletic said something the other day, which was really interesting, is that this is one of the first times ever that the Premier League has essentially got no mid-table. Mm. You've just got like a top and a, a top half and a bottom half. That's yeah, that's true actually, <laughs> um, isn't it? Yeah. And and I feel like you're seeing that in who's beating who and and who has what to play for. Like everyone's pretty much got something to play for. Mm. So I feel like the fact that Arsenal have responded pretty well. You know, like the Villa away game now looks like a really good result. Um, yeah, considering the run of form they've been on under under Emery. Um, and a lot of those games that we maybe felt, you know, because I, I remember a lot of stuff at the time, especially when that Villa result happened after that little blip and people saying like, oh, really, you know, a lucky last minute winner against Villa. Is this kind of good enough to win the league? And actually, yeah, it can be. Mm. It can be this season because everyone is taking points off everyone. And it's a massive cliche and the, it gets used for the Premier League a lot. But there are no easy games, really. Even even like the Everton home game, which looks on paper afterwards as a really comfortable win, there were moments in that game where Arsenal had to really, really dig in and 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 weather, you know, mini mini storms per se. So, yeah, I think the that's that's been super impressive this season. The fact that like quite a young, fairly inexperienced squad, on the whole, has has dealt with setbacks and and kind of really gone game by game and kind of slowly played themselves back into a run again. Mm. Shades of the Bournemouth game uh, from kickoff in this one where yeah. Leeds, Leeds had a chance <laughs> in like 10 seconds and I was, as he was lining up the shot, I was thinking, oh no, not again. Yeah, not again. GTA you can't, meme, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you cannot put us through this again, conceding inside 10 seconds. I mean, is it just a bit of happenstance, do you think? Or, or is there something deliberate about the way that Leeds put the ball into that channel early on? I mean, they got a bit of a lucky break, I think. But, you know, it is, it is, uh, it was easy to have some flashbacks. Uh, yeah, I think um, Musa from on Stadio always says that the Premier League is, is a copycat league. And I feel that teams lower down the table who go to bigger clubs, if they see someone take advantage of something early on, mm. they will try and repeat that. Because if it's kind of a, it's a free hit, really. If they go 1-0 up in the first minute, then it's like, well, shit, this is amazing. <laughs> and we can just sit deep and just... And, and they lead to have the players to hurt teams on the on the counter-attack. Mm. So I, I'm not... Yeah, I don't think it's any... I mean, we saw Liverpool go concede super early in the second half against Man City, uh, which was weird for them. I think sometimes it just happens. Mm. I think uh, when, you go to, when you go to Arsenal and you're lower down the table you know that you're going to have to absorb a lot of pressure and you're going to be under the cosh a bit. So I think if you can just go like a little wild for the first minute when teams tend to be playing themselves in, it's just, yeah. I don't think there's any... I, I saw in the questions, which we'll obviously talk about later, but there's, there seems to be quite a lot of like searching for patterns. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just have to hold our hands up and just be like, yeah, some things are just random. Can we talk a little about Aaron Ramsdale? Because a lot of the focus this season is rightly on 
what we're doing at the top end of the pitch. And when you've got Saka and Martinelli and Trossard coming in, hitting the ground running, Gabriel Jesus coming mm. back, all of those kinds of things are, 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 you know, they tend to dominate the conversations because goals are the currency of football. But at the other end, Aaron Ramsdale was a busy man or busy, the busier man in the opening half an hour. He made that save in the opening couple of minutes. There was another one where... He made a good save. I think the flag went up. I think it was Somerville that was was mm. offside. There was another one, I think, from Harrison just before we went up the other end and scored. And I guess some people will say, well, that's the job. You're the goalkeeper. Yeah. You've got to stop these. That's your job. But you also have to pay credit, I think, to a goalkeeper in... Um, you know, when they do make those kinds of saves, particularly when it's nil-nil, even going to the Bournemouth game, that save he made, you know, uh, that could have been 2-0 in the first half, maybe that would have given us longer to mount the comeback, but still, (laughs) you know, you don't want to be going 2-0 down, even though we did. You know, I I think he he was not quite as accurate with the ball at his feet Mm. this week, um, but... Those saves are are huge in the context of a game where you're uh, playing a team that's fighting relegation, that's going to come and scrap. And if they get their noses in front, they're going to sit and be organized and be really, really, really tough to break down, as we saw against Bournemouth, Um, you know, even though we did get over the line in that one. Yeah, there's a weird thing that I noticed on Saturday, actually, and I hadn't picked up on it before, but I feel extremely calm whenever I see players go one-on-one with Ramsdale more Mm. so than any other Arsenal goalkeeper for as long as I can remember and we've had some good goalkeepers I know that we've had some not so great goalkeepers as well but I feel like on the whole a lot of Arsenal goalkeepers have actually been underrated for their shot stopping ability I think even if they've had the tendency to go maybe a little bit walkabout Mm. Um, but I noticed it I can't remember which chance it was but I felt like no build-up of anxiety or anything and I feel that that that's something I don't think Aaron Ramsdale gets enough credit for actually because he is a little bit hype and he's obviously a little bit you know cheeky and he's known for kind of winding people up a little bit mm. as well and also I still think he's 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 playing himself out of the reputation that he signed with which is, I, I think some it just takes some players a lot like longer to get rid of that mm. that um What's the word? Whatever the like the the, the kind of the baggage perception. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I just feel extremely calm with him. Even the goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, obviously, but I just don't think it was anything he could do with that. And he still nearly kept it out. Mm. Um he's not I mean, he, he's still a very young goalkeeper. Like you there is no reason uh that you couldn't see him. And I th- I think he's even said himself that he would like to be an Arsenal great. Mm. But, he could be in goal for 10 years. He's 24. Like 34 is no, you know, is no, it's no age for a goalkeeper. <laughs> and there's, an, I, it's the first time we've had a goalkeeper in a long time that I could see them being the goalkeeper first choice for as long as, mm. long as they want to be really, or as long as they keep that kind of form up. I think he's amazing. Just, just as an overall guy as well. He, I get the vibe that he's just, he's so important for, the squad as well and um yeah just never i i i have full like faith in his ability to we're one-on-one with anyone really yeah which is quite kind of wild i think because we're not really famed for our 
amazing goalkeepers. Well, let's hope he can uh, do what needs to be done. But I would prefer, obviously, for him not to be left one-on-one too often in the remaining <laughs> <laughs> nine games that we have to play. Yeah, but I also think, sorry to cut him, but I think yeah. just the way that, the nature of the, the way that we play at home. Yes. They're just going to be, it's risk reward. You're just going to get that. I think, you know, we'd all love, I think it's, it's quite interesting, actually, because uh, I see a lot of fans criticising how, you know, kind of stale they find Manchester City's football sometimes because it's just, you know, mm. like perfectly, especially like a couple of years ago, um, you know, I remember the COVID Champions League season where they just passed teams to death. Yeah. But it was really kind of, it was actually a bit of a tough watch from an enjoyment point of view. Death by 300,000 cuts. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, and, oh, and, just get over you know, it. City, don't, City never kind of concede chances or go one-on-one. It's like, yeah, but then you're also saying that their, their football's not enjoyable to mm. you. So therefore, I don't think you can have it both ways. It's part of the it's part of the fun, I think. Gabriel Jesus started up front first time since before the World Cup, first time since he got the injury. And I think everybody was hoping and praying that he would get a goal because it had been some time before he picked up that injury. October yeah. 1st was the last time he scored a goal, which isn't to say he wasn't influential. Of course he was. But when you're a striker, when you're a number nine, you know, people look at your goal tally and they make judgments and assessments on, on uh, you know, how good you are based on that. Even if, you know, we know as Arsenal fans watching him closely, he's been a very important part of of what this team has done this season. Had an early chance. Mm-hmm. Granit Xhaka put a great ball in. He headed over. I have to admit, I was thinking... Yes. Is it gonna be? Is it gonna be another one of those days where the chances come and he just doesn't quite make the most of them? Um, how did you view that header? I mean, maybe it's not a slam dunk, but I I think he should be testing the goalkeeper at the very least. Yep, I agree. I feel like it was just one of those where I was like, oh, this is this is one I would have really loved that he'd put away. Mm-hmm. But again, coming back from injury. The fact that I think he's playing already actually is is uh, is kind of amazing because I, I assumed we weren't going to see him until late April when that injury happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think one that is easier to to overlook with the result. I think yeah. if, if if it's nil nil or or Arsenal lose two one, a lot of people will be focusing on that chance sure. like the moment, um, especially because Xhaka scored from a kind of similar style header. I think, in the yeah, yeah, but obviously yeah, yeah. Xhaka's a bigger guy. I think, but uh, but yeah, not, I mean, not not a sitter, but one that I feel like peak, fully fit, absolutely firing Jesus. Maybe early on in the season. Yeah, I think he would have scored that low, and he probably puts that away. Yeah, but that's fine. But yeah. he he. He took the penalty. I had a look at his um, penalty stats on Transfer Marked uh, a while ago, and I was looking at it going, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not great. <laughs> it isn't great. And I saw Martin Odegaard standing there with the ball in his hands. I was thinking, okay, that makes sense to me. You know, uh, I know Gabriel Jesus could use a goal, but the captain is stepping up. He's going to take the penalty. He took a penalty in the penalty shootout against Sporting a couple of weeks ago. You know, this makes some sense. But then he gave the ball to Gabriel Jesus. Um, I think he, even with this goal, has missed more penalties than he scored (laughs) in his career, which is quite something. I mean, he hasn't taken loads. Um, I'm just going to get the stats up here. Total penalties scored, six. Total penalties missed, seven. So 
Yeah, not great. I, w- I, I was so hopeful, but I can't say I was 100% confident in the same way I would have been if it had been Odegaard or even Bukayo Saka, whose, whose mm. record from the penalty spot has, mm. been, has been outstanding. But as a way to get him back on the score sheet, uh, you couldn't ask for more, and it was definitely a penalty. There was a, a challenge yeah. like a second before where he could have gone down. He stayed on his feet, and then Luke Ayling, I don't quite know what he was doing, um, kicked him on the knee. You don't need a second invitation. Down he goes, and it's definitely a penalty. So It was really weird, I thought, because yeah. um, I saw a few people when it when it was given saying it was super soft or, or that oh, Jesus, Jesus has gone down super easily there. And I, and I looked again, and I was like, have you ever been kicked on the knee with football studs? It hurts. Yeah. Like it, it hurts quite a lot, actually, no matter how <laughs> soft it, you, you get it. Um, and, and I think Ailing's reaction is the biggest tell because he does the, he doesn't just put his hands up, but he kind of pushes his head it further into his neck and he's just like, Fuck. yeah, he turtles it, doesn't he? He's just, ab- yeah, I've absolutely. He's like, I know, like I couldn't, it's like, you couldn't be cool, Luke. You couldn't be cool. Uh, cause he got away with that first one, like you said. And, um, yeah, I thought it was a definite penalty, but in terms of the actual penalty itself, I have to admit, I, I didn't realize his penalty record until afterwards. I right. can't remember. I think it might have even, it might have even been when you mentioned it on the blog, actually. Mm. And um, so, I, in my head, I wasn't nervous about him taking it. But now, having learned that about his penalty record, and then watching the penalty again, I kind of felt more nervous, even knowing it was going in. <laughs> it was a bit weird. It was. I saw a lot of people talking about the the run up, the stuttery run up, and you know, I th- there is something to that. That if you watch the goalkeeper go one way, you have the ability then to put the ball yeah. the other way. I mean, he didn't really do that. He just put it down the middle. It doesn't matter. Do we need to hyperanalyze a penalty that uh, that went in? I'm not I sure mean, we do, but you know, very happy for him. Lovely touch from Martin Odegaard to to give him the mm. the ball and get him a goal back, but. Yeah, as much as I love Gabriel Jesus and I'm glad he's back playing, I think there were glimpses of actually the the the, the passage of play from him for the penalty, before the penalty actually was mm. a reminder of how he can instantly create danger out of nothing. But um, yeah, glad he's back. Love him. Amazing signing. Would be perfectly happy if someone else took the penalties for the rest of the season. <laughs> well, I think if Saka's on the pitch, he takes the penalty. Yeah. I think even in those circumstances with Jesus needing a goal, I think, you know, yeah, you, you, yeah. you have your pecking order. But I, I guess it might well have been a conversation that they had pre-game. If, if this happens, you know, is it the yeah. right decision to give him the, the ball to, to score the goal? And look, I guess you could say considering what happened next, that it might have just lifted a little bit of the pressure off him, lifted some of the burden off him. And, you know, he did get the uh, the third goal, which we'll talk about in due mm-hmm. course. Um, second half began in some style. Because first half, you go in, you're 1-0 up. I think we were we were decent. But I think we saw maybe the impact of uh, Rob Holding playing at center half, and also Leandro Trossard playing on the right, which isn't to be in any way critical of those guys. I just mean that when your team has been that settled and you're used to playing yeah. a certain way, like I don't think it's a criticism of, of Trossard to say that he and Ben White don't have the same 
automatisms that Ben White and Bakayo Saka have because they've been playing together the whole season. I thought what Trossard did in the first half, in particular, I thought some of his defensive work was outstanding. There were a couple mm-hmm. of times where Leeds were looking to threaten and all of a sudden he pops back up in the you know in our defensive third to intercept a pass or, or make a tackle. And I thought that was quite interesting considering, you know, how strong he's been in the, in the final third. And also, you know, when you look at what he did in, in the second half. Mm. But I think that was something we had to kind of get to grips with, wasn't it? These two changes, even if it is only two changes, they can, mm. when you add it to, you know, the fact that we've been on an international break, we've got to come back, we've got to find our rhythm again. It can just affect a team and, and the way that they perform. Yeah, I th- I think every team suffers from this, and uh, something I kind of bang on about quite a lot on on our show, and just how you're not just losing this the skill set of the player who's been taken out of the side, you're losing the chemistry and all of the relationships around you. It's, it, the best, a really crude way, I suppose, to it, or easy way to explain it is kind of uh, it's like FIFA Ultimate Team, and you have mm. those little chemistry lines. It is it is really like that. You because you see how how different there's been a lot of talk this season about how different certain players are when other players are around them um i actually think trossard did really well because it's not a position that i've even seen him play that often in at brighton no. on that right hand side i might be wrong but I, I i can't remember him being over there too often and just you know all your angles are different mm-hmm. all your kind of like pathways are different and you're obviously playing with you know surrounded by by different players in different parts of the field I think Benjamin White and, and Leandro Trossard are so, they just strike me as such intelligent footballers though. I think mm. they did, considering considering White's been under the weather as well, I was actually really impressed by how uh, how smooth it was. I think it could have been really tricky down that left-hand side because Leeds had some really good opportunities and were, were pretty dangerous down there. Um but I think it's just another sign, and I was going to talk about it a little bit more in part two because I had some questions about him, but just Trossard's impact in general and just how you can seemingly just plug him and play him anywhere. And I can't think of a poor performance that he's had. Yeah, No, same, 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 same. I mean, Arteta was asked about him. Here's a little clip. Arteta <laughs> was asked about him in the, uh, in the press conference uh, afterwards. Uh, I think uh, this is uh, James Benj asking the question here, and this is what he says about Trossard. In your wildest dreams, could you imagine him making such an impact? I have very wild dreams. <laughs> <laughs> some laughter. I mean, he might well have wild dreams, and I think uh, we, we could be sharing in some of those. But it is... You know, an unbelievable contribution from a player. I just had a quick look there when you were talking about, um, you know, playing on the right. That's the first time he's played on the right this season. He's played at centre forward. He's played in attacking midfield. He's played Mm -hmm. at left midfield. He's played left wing. But this was the first time that he's played on the right-hand side. Um, Still pops up with an assist. Uh, Really, really good in the second half. He is... Everything you could hope for from a January signing, isn't he? In terms of how quickly and how well he's hit the ground running and and integrated into this group, you know, and into a very settled group and a settled team, like he's he's not been found wanting in any way. No, instantly I think got the trust of the the entire squad when they could see what he mm. could do, and I think. In the aftermath of the whole Mudrick saga and Mudrick going to Chelsea and then Arsenal getting Leandro Trossard for way less money and 
obviously him being a few years older than Mudrick and we all we've you know I've heard you and we've all talked about that before in terms mm. of what a kind of signing that would have been maybe not the uh, maybe not the signing that everyone initially wanted but the impact that he's having has I mean this is this is the the thing that we talked about before in terms of January signings you you sometimes it's not it's not people to come in and be in instant first choice starters. I don't think anyone thought Trossard would be a first choice starter when they signed a January. Mm. But but everyone's talking about how amazing um that is from a depth perspective. The same with Jorginho. Mm. The fact that he's actually now played in three positions across the front three and maybe Bar Saka because Saka is just such a you know, he's so otherworldly. It's hard to argue that if he was to start there ahead of the other people in in contention for that position, that it would be a massive injustice or that Arsenal would be any worse. And that, I think, is kind of incredible. It is, when you consider the quality of the players that he would be playing ahead of yeah. with, with Jesus and Martinelli. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I love him. I, I, I mean, mm. I, the, the, the thing for the third goal was, I don't know, just... He 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 he's had moments like this all season where I've just I've kind of stopped and just thought like this guy is absolutely incredible like how like genuinely how did Arsenal uh, <laughs> in January pushing for a title I know that he had a bit of a fallout with Deserby and he was kind of there was a little bit of drama there but the fact mm. that Arsenal swooped in and picked up this guy anyone in the top six or the to- or the yeah. top six clubs would must be looking at themselves and be like how the fuck did we miss out on this guy? Like Liverpool, like Leandro Trossard is the kind of person I imagine that Liverpool get in January and everyone's just like, Liverpool done it again. Mm. Wow. Wow. What a signing, you mm. know? Uh, it feels like Arsenal are moving into territory when they're starting to make signings like this, which hasn't always been the case. And I'm very much here for, uh, I, yeah, I love him. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's a busy little fucker. I think you would say, and he technically, like a nightmare really to play again. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, I don't think he does anything that is necessarily like you don't look at him and go, "How has he done that? Yeah. What? Where did that piece of skill come from?" But there's a sort of deftness to the way he moves and wiggles his hips and sends defenders one way and then shimmies back the other way. Um, I mean, you've everyone's played against a guy like that in five aside, where you kind of think, ah, "I know where he's going," and then it's like. And then you go, oh, I know what he's going to do now. And he does a fucking triple reverse on you. And you're like, what's happened yeah. here? You know, and I think that was evident in the in the, in the the goal that he scored. No, the goal that he created rather for Gabriel Jesus. I mean, it starts with a Jesus pass into him in the center forward position. Um, I mean, that is as well. You know, we've talked about Zinchenko popping up here, there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, you know, when we talked about Eddie Nketiah and the job that he did for Gabriel Jesus, is like where where Jesus appears on the pitch, you're looking at it going, well, why he's on the left, now he's on the right, and now he's kind of where Martin Odegaard should be, and that's where he was for the start of this move, and he plays a pass into Trossard, who's nominally the right-sided uh, attacker, and he's in the centre-forward position. I mean, that kind of variation in itself is a bit of a nightmare for teams, because if yeah. you're a defender, you're going, well, where do I go? Do I stay with my man? Do I pick him up? Do we swap over? Even the half a second or a second that it takes for you to tell your mate to switch 
his attentions to a different player can be the difference between, you know, turning away from somebody and, and, and creating space. So I think that kind of variety of movement uh, and interchanging of positions is a really key part of why Gabriel Jesus has been so effective for us. Yeah, 100%. And if you if you compare that to some of the early iterations of this Arteta's Arsenal, super rigid, not particularly dynamic, not a huge amount of fluid movement. I remember a few times that, oh, oh was it when, um, I can't remember who it was now. It might have been Ainsley Maitland-Niles played as this kind of uh, left back and then all of a sudden switched to right wing or vice versa. And everyone was just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Because it was the first time seemingly that it happened under Arteta. <clears throat> now it's the norm from all in all three mm banks of the pitch if you like mm. uh, our defenders move into midfield our midfielders, midfielders drop into defence our wide players go central and vice versa and it just feels like everyone who's played against Arsenal this season has at least one of their players has come out afterwards and just been like essentially paraphrasing but like these guys are a nightmare mm. it's like that you know those movies where you're like they're everywhere they're everywhere and it's just <laughs> it's like, how do we stop them how do we stop them and you can see that in the amount of goals that Arsenal have scored. Like yeah. in, in the blog where you mentioned how many goals, how many games Arsenal have, have scored three or more goals in this run. Yeah. That's that's kind of super impressive if you look at how low scoring some of the other teams in the league have been this season. Mm. But um, I, I mean, the goal difference, which may come into the equation um, between now and the end of the season, you know, we're on plus 43, City are on plus 45. Mm-hmm. You know, and City have got this incredible center forward who's scoring uh, an incredible amount of goals there's only two in the difference Um, and to be in that kind of position you know from where we were a couple of years ago where we were thinking how how are we going to attack how does this team click from an attacking perspective and you know it didn't happen overnight a lot of work has gone into it I mean we didn't really mention the the second goal yet which we should because um, it's an assist for Gabriel Martinelli it is a, another goal for Ben White, who came oh, in at the back post, finished in off the uh, underside of the crossbar, which is very aesthetically pleasing, but also came very close to perhaps going the wrong side <laughs> of the crossbar from very, very close range. But that's neither here nor there. That's like overanalyzing the penalty. But, you know, again, this is a guy who, uh, as Mikel Arteta said, was having some issues uh, before the game. There was an illness in the camp where... I'm guessing, you know, it was a stomachy thing or whatever it might be. But we don't have Tommy Asu. We don't have a natural replacement at right back. And um, not only did he score, not only did he play the 90 minutes, not only did he get involved in some hilarious shenanigans right at the end with with Melier, you know, he's there to make a really, really big contribution in a game where, you know, we're 1-0 up, but you always want that second goal. You want that third goal so you can feel comfortable and you can, you know, then do what Mikel Arteta did and, and make a few changes. Much like with Trossard, but in a different way, I think Ben White just... <sighs> I kind of struggle to think of new ways to, to express how great I think he is. <laughs> but just all around, I think... Uh, I actually tweeted that there's part of me that thinks he deliberately hit it off the bar. Because do you remember remember the Chelsea away (laughs) game where he runs over and dinks that ball off the cone onto the back of Odegaard's head in the celebration? I'm like, this guy is, he's technically extremely gifted. There's part of me that just thinks, because he points, he points, that was the thing that I noted actually, that he points, it's not like he's just arrived there and and Martinelli has has whipped the ball in Mm. and hoped for the best. 
uh, White's constantly holding his position on the edge of the box and then just points. Mm. And as soon as he points, like Gabby Martinelli just like whips it in. It's an incredible pass. It's it, And White's there, puts it in. There is part of me that's kind of like, if anyone, if any right back in the Premier League is going to get into that position and think, yeah, much shit off the bar. You know, you can imagine him being interviewed by Jan Agafiotov afterwards. And he's just like, oh, was this, was the finish like, you know, uh, accidental or were you a bit worried? And he was just, you know, he's like, does his whole, well, you know, we're quite good at football. Yeah. I'm you quite know, good at scoring goals yeah. off the underside of the bar. No, I just saw the bar and I just thought, yeah. you know, I might as well. Why not? Yeah, why you know? not? Um, just a bit of variety, you know. And, and the thing I really loved about Nicola was the fact that everyone went overboard on the head slapping. It was like <laughs> payback <laughs> to the point where I was just like, he might have to go down here because we might have to get the the physio on to assess him quickly because there was some like as soon as Xhaka got involved I was like oh fuck yeah he has been um you know at the forefront of that like Gabriel is smashing the head off him is it this one where I think Zinchenko kicks him in the arse as well like as they're doing like they're whacking him yeah they're ki- and there, look, Zinchenko gives him a kick up the arse too. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be like Zinchenko to just go a little bit extra, would it? No, no, no. it's not like him at all. <laughs> but I know this sounds a little bit silly, and it's easy to say when you go two and up at home to Leeds. But it just it's part of the of of how together this squad looks, and just how I don't know the chemistry just is so good, and I think White in particular is. It's such an intriguing member of the squad because when he came in, there were you know there was a lot of talk. I know you guys have talked about this a lot, mm. and so I'll keep it brief. But there was a lot of talk about the Varane comparison in terms of fee and like where he come from, and sure. and you know Musa, as many of you will know, is a, is a, is a is a Manchester United fan, and when, on Stadia we've talked about how that conversation is just not. It's kind of awkwardly gone away mm. because people are like, um, we better not bring that up again <laughs> because. <laughs> He's actually really, really good. He's playing right back and he's kept a really good right back out of the side. And just this just this amazing combination of physicality and technicality. Mm. And I just, yeah, again, I just, I just think he's amazing. I think we're really, really blessed with some players who just have, I don't know whether it's just because of the run that they've been on or the fact that the chemistry is so good, mm. but just have emerged as these, like there's a, there's a lot of, there seems to be like a lot of leaders. I agree, yeah. Um, and not all of them are shouty, you know, kind of like, come on. Yeah, chest but, thumping, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Just leading by example, I think White is one of those. He rarely, I mean, put it this way, the, 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 the one once or twice that he's put in pretty questionable first halves sort or of performances, they've mm. been talking points on podcasts. Yeah, because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I think that's the, that's, that's the biggest compliment I can give him, really. So look, he got the second, Gabriel Jesus got the third, and then Mikel Arteta immediately <laughs> made a couple of what I would call protective yeah. subs because he took Jesus off and he took um, Thomas Partey off, replaced them with uh, Jorginho and Bakayo Saka, you know, mm-hmm. who is um, or was supposedly under the weather a bit, but, you know, Bakayo Saka gets to play and... Uh, I think I saw Tim talking about this, Tim Stillman talking a little bit about this, where, where Saka came on and played in second gear, basically. And it was more than good enough. It was more than good enough in this game, in this context, in these circumstances, where you know he didn't need to run himself into the ground for, for 30 minutes, but still was able to help us control the game, uh, which I think we were doing pretty well until the goal that they scored. Um 
it's just one of those things that like you're going to have to live with a bit where if you're scoring four and you let in one, it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying uh, there shouldn't be analysis because I do think that after a game like this, it's sort of redundant for Mikel Arteta to show the team the things they did well because they're, they're the things that he's been coaching them to do all season, whereas you will probably look at a few moments in this game and, and say, okay, this is what we need to, this is where we need to sharpen up. And I think the goal is certainly an area where we could have sharpened up and, and defensively, I'm not sure we were we were great for it, but um, you know, it's sort of an out of the blue goal considering how the game was being played at that point. Yeah, it wasn't like we were conceding chance after chance after no. chance and we were kind of like dug in. Even like the Bournemouth game where they had a couple of set pieces and it felt like, like you said, that Ramsdale made another mm. save in that game. It didn't feel like Leeds created a huge amount, really, especially no. in the second half. Um, I think it's just something we've also seen before when, with that change and Jorginho comes on and Arsenal lose a little bit of uh, stability and transition in defence. Mm. Uh, and... You know, we just get turned around and are running back to our own goal a little bit more than we're used to. But also, I just feel like it's one of those, like Zinchenko gets a little bit stuck in the middle. He doesn't really know whether to, to go. And I think mm. that's that's just a, a thing that's happened with the handball or just you, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I think you see players just charge out of that. And now they're a bit like, okay, my hands are behind my back. Am I good? I'm just going to stand here almost like in mm. basketball when you see players take a charge. And, and it's... He's just a little bit too far away to be any use. Yeah, I know what sense. you mean. I know what you um, mean. And then obviously he turns his back and it just flicks. I mean, again, Ramsdale almost keeps it out and gets a hand on it because uh, he's already, if you actually look at the slow-mo replay behind the goal, he's already planted his foot set to go left. And he reacts really well, actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, a few, a few questions about that. And I just think it's one of those, again, that, you know, there doesn't, I don't think we need to tear down the back four or you know, go and spend 40 odd million on a, on a, on a, I don't know, like a league catamole just to scythe people down <laughs> in the middle of midfield. Um, no, I suppose people will be talking about like, you know, the fact that the guy turned away from Jorginho, but it was high up the pitch. It was yeah. quite high up the pitch and look, he burst beyond him. I think if you, if you turn Jorginho, you're going to run away from him. That's the reality of that. Yeah. But there's still a lot more we could have done to defend that uh, a little bit better. And I think there is a, a bit of good fortune. I think if Zinchenko, you know, stays square yeah. on, potentially that ball hits him on the arm and it's probably a handball yeah. uh, for whatever reason that they invent uh, handball decisions <laughs> for at the moment. I, you know, still can't get my head around it. Yeah. But I mean, it's a bit like the Palace game in that the one goal goes in, you're like, oh, it's just don't annoying. like this. Yeah, annoying. it is more yeah. annoying that yeah. I didn't feel like, okay, floodgates are going to open here. Leeds yeah. are going to get another. Um, as it turns out, we get one more. And yeah, I think the response is really positive. Yeah, because um, I also just on the on the on their goal. I think in a more in a closer game or a higher intensity game, let's say, mm. um, you know, for example, if that's if that move happens after twenty minutes in the Liverpool game, I expect someone to take the player down way further away from goal than they get to. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think the fact that by then it's it's once they Arsenal are cruising, but you know they've made the subs. They're in kind of rest mode. They kind of see the game out, and then that happens. I think if it's in a, uh, if it's more, if it yeah, if it's in a higher intensity game, I think someone just takes a booking mm. and just yeah gets rid probably. Pitch. Yeah. So look, the fourth goal, beautiful pass from 
Martin Odegaard, that is the run and finish of a seasoned centre forward, isn't it? Like if, I don't know, think of a name, think of your classic, like if Olivier Giroud had scored that goal, people would be going, there's a very Giroud goal, isn't it? Like yep. he just peels off, makes the run, flicks the header in, fairly nonchalant. The tongue comes out. Yeah. The finger starts <laughs> wagging. It's all, I can see it now. Oh, I miss those days. Shaka's uh, seventh goal of the season. So uh, it really is an impressive contribution from him in, in goal in goal terms and in goal involvements this season because, yeah. you know, that is an area where people thought maybe, maybe um, that's where, you know, he's kind of lacking or has been lacking. And I, I don't think it's an unreasonable position to have taken, but he stepped up in a very big way this season. Yeah, I think also just his kind of slight tweaking of the role Mm. has really benefited him. Uh, and I think Mikel Arteta deserves a huge amount of credit for analysing a lot of potential weaknesses in this side mm. and setting them up in a way tactically and also in a, you know, in a defensive system, like setting and in an attacking setting just to minimise the flaws. Mm. I think that's all really Arsenal have done this season is because that, that group was a really talented group anyway. They were just too many flaws that were too easy to expose and I feel like it's obviously with extra coaching obviously there are numerous factors but one of the main things has been just reducing the flaws and Xhaka is a prime example of that mm. where you reduce the kind of responsibility that he needs to do in a defensive sense and just actually let him go a little bit Mm -hmm. and him playing further I mean you remember early on in the season when all of a sudden he was in the final third and at some points was the furthest man forward I was just like who the, what the fuck is like first <laughs> I was like who is this like who is this guy that we signed but um, I think this is just one of the reasons why he's a curious case shocker he's, he's a prime case study for how little football fans us football fans actually know about what goes on on the inside of football clubs because so many managers have repeatedly trusted him. And the, the fans were just like, How, how's this guy getting game time again under someone else? Mm. And he was nearly out the door and he obviously had that really horrible uh, moment with the, with the armband and stuff. And, but he, I think you're seeing now what, what managers probably saw in training and inside the camp and just actually because he's playing well people are like oh actually yeah i've always loved shaka yeah he's always been a really good leader and like oh yeah what he's like really leads by example and you know because he's not making these high profile mistakes which i think yeah i know i know i'm rambling a little bit but i'm always reminded of the thing i think it was scalacci said that time when he was basically like i'm not really a bad defender it's just we've got no midfield you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I think that yeah. what, what we're seeing, what we're seeing is a, is a, a player who, I think there are players who, how do I put this? Their equilibrium is where the level is around them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if it's wobbly and inconsistent, he's a guy who looks wobbly and inconsistent. As the level is raised, and it has raised over the last 18 months at Arsenal in a big way, he's risen with the level too. And I yeah, think that's I, probably ties into what you're saying about what managers have seen. 
Yeah, I think also I think that's probably his sense, and I don't know Granite Xhaka, and I don't. This is just like a little bit of a hunch, but I get the impression that he likes to take responsibility mm-hmm. on the football pitch. And I think when everything's going to shit around him, I think he probably tried to do a little bit too much, which exposed him a little bit. I think now that he's like, all right, okay, actually, I've got this. For some reason, we've got this little left back. He just comes in midfield, so I don't need to be there. That's yeah, yeah. great. I can push up an extra 10, 15 yards. I've got Martin Erdegaard, who's just like, actually, how did we fucking sign this guy again? Anyway, he's here. Mm-hmm. But Martinelli's great. Gabriel Jesus has all of a sudden turned up. Bukayo Saka is, you know, in a shout for player of the season. Uh, and then we signed Leandro Trossard in January. It's just like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I'll just pick up some percussion and just let you guys jam. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's like... Needs, it, and that's, needs more yeah, cowbell. <laughs> yeah, Granit Xhaka <laughs> is the world's finest cowbell player. <laughs> But that sounds like I'm taking the piss. And no, 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 I know what you're but saying. Not, I just yeah. feel like you're right. I feel like some players can, can their, their level raises when everything around them gets better. Mm. But he was, it's easy to forget that he, how talented he really was. He was really, really talented at Gladbach. And when he signed, I think there was a lot of excitement. Mm. And I don't think Granit Xhaka was ever quite, he, there have been, I feel like there have been so many players over the last decade at Arsenal that, are, that fall into this category. Never quite as bad as maybe the perception seemed but just only seem to be discussed in extremes. Sure. And and now I think that's just all calmed down a little bit. If anything, it's gone you know, more on the positive. Gone the other way. He's getting some flowers. Um, yeah, love that. Right. Just very finally in, in this part, um, because you know we've done the game. It's a 4-1 win, seven successive win, as we said. Um, you know, valuable uh, outing for Gabriel Jesus, considering what we've got to come, et cetera, et cetera. But just the other factor that we didn't mention was the game that took place before ours, mm. where everyone was hoping that Liverpool could do something against Manchester City. It looked for a little while like they might, but then, of course, they didn't. When you see a team like City who've been there and done that over and over again with this kind of relentlessness, uh, particularly when it comes to the final part of the season, the run-ins, you know what they produce... I know we had an eight-point gap and it was cut to five points, but we know how quickly that can go the other way with a couple of results. It was so, so important for us to respond. And I'm not saying necessarily that it was a statement win from Manchester City over Liverpool, but it's still a big win over one of the big teams in the league, as inconsistent as they are. You know, they, they, they've been all over the place this season, but they've still beaten Manchester United 7-0. So on their day, we know that they're capable. And I think the, the history between Liverpool and Manchester City over the last couple of seasons will have meant that this was a game that they were, were very, very keen on, on doing well in. We still had to respond. Yeah. That pressure was like, here you go, guys. Let's see what you can do. We've done this. Now what can you do? And I think there's something about the way that we responded. I know it's a bit abstract to talk about it, but snapping back, if you like, at what City have done was really, really crucial too. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think this one was a little bit different because it feels like Arsenal have done this quite a number of times already this season. And each time it's felt, it's felt like a little bit of a, I won't say shifting the needle, but just like the more that they learn or they have learned how to respond to pressure, the, I wouldn't say easier, but let's say the smoother that it sometimes seems to go. I think the Bournemouth game obviously was a, was a bit of a 
just as great as that was i never want that to happen again mm-hmm. uh not yet anyway and like i'm you know if it's last day of the season or actually i'll take i'll take that kind of win away at city put it that way but um sure but do you know what i mean just like mm. you know like the early stages of the world cup in argentina it was just like they not every game you can't sustain that level of emotional output every single game um I feel like this is this one was a little bit different because it was Liverpool, and I think we ex, it was the first time Arsenal fans have probably expected City to drop points in a game they've played before because you just never really expect City to drop points. Mm. And uh, I think the the way that it panned out, yeah, I mean, it could have been it could have been a real, it could have been really tricky, mm-hmm. but you know maybe we should just all be like Ben White and just not watch football and just like like if I didn't if we didn't watch any other football we'd be like this is great you know so um but yeah I, I agree with what you're saying i think it's just each little arsenal just keep past passing these little tests that they get put in front of them this yeah. season um and you're getting to the stage where you know you see the games kind of winding down and you're like okay there can't you know there can't be quite that many tests left can there you know and i think that's the little bit of hope that you see each one of these more so for me as a fan is like it's just one more, one more down. Mm. It's got to that stage now. I think yeah. when you're just, especially when you have the eight point gap. If, I mean, obviously, City have got a game in hand, and when that comes down, it's five. But at the moment, it's about, it's just about maintaining that eight gap because eight point gap. Because psychologically, mm. I don't think we can underestimate how, even for Manchester City, how when you see the games get down into single figures, if there's still an eight point gap, that starts to really mm. play on their mind because you 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 need you need help you need someone else to to take points and that's that's a lot to ask for all right we might have some questions about that uh in the next part of the show so we're going to leave it there for part one right now we will come back with what's going to be part three with your questions but before uh we do that um as i mentioned on the blog today I am joining forces with our good friends at the Arsenal Vision Podcast to help raise funds for the Arsenal Foundation and the work that they're doing, the incredible work that they're doing. Uh, a big part of that is that we are, like we did last year, we're going to donate every single penny from our Patreon income in the month of April. We're going to donate that to the fundraiser, to the Arsenal Foundation. But to talk a little bit more about the work that's being done and to talk a bit more about some of the things that you can do and get involved with, with the fundraiser, I spoke to Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast yesterday uh, about it all. So here's that, and then we'll come back with your questions and more in part two after this. This month, we are joining forces with our friends from the Arsenal Vision podcast to help raise funds throughout the month of April for the Arsenal Foundation and the incredible work they do. With me now to talk a little about the work that they do, as well as the fundraiser itself and some of the great things that you can get involved in from the Arsenal Vision podcast, it's Elliot. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you are. If this is what it takes to get me an Arscast appearance, I'm certainly thankful for it. See, I, I figure like you've, you're all talked out. By the time we do one <laughs> podcast, you've done an instant reaction, an instant reaction to the instant reaction, and then your main pod. So Solo pod. And, you know. Yeah, what else is there? What else is there to say? But uh, I'm sure we'll work it out. So look, um, you are putting together or have put together this fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation. We did it last year. What was the sum total raised last year? 
I think it was 107,000 pounds. Yeah, pretty remarkable. Which is pretty incredible. It's a really significant amount of money for the Arsenal Foundation, which I'm sure everybody is aware of. Could you just give, maybe give like a really quick background on what the Arsenal Foundation are doing and you know where it stands in the work that they do? There's the Arsenal and the community projects and things like that. So where does the Arsenal Foundation fit into that particular little jigsaw? Right. Yeah, it's a really good question because Arsenal and the community is a program that's going on over, over 40 years now. Uh, working in North London with young people and families uh, in need, using the power of football and football education to help deliver life lessons, right? And mm. and resiliency and life skills that those people uh, need to thrive in life uh, and wonderful people at Arsenal who, who do that work full time. The Arsenal Foundation uh, is sort of a separate organization that accepts donations to then carry on work for young people around the world. And so they take this phenomenal education that Arsenal has received through the North London community and the program that they built there. And they try to reproduce it in places of other need around the world. And one of those places is uh, the Zattery refugee camp in Jordan. So you were out there recently, you, you took a trip out there. What work are they doing and who specifically are, are they helping? Yeah. So I did get a chance to go out there and I have to say that to actually be with the young people in the Zattery camp was an extraordinary experience. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a little more detail in a moment. So basically the Zattery refugee camp is one of the largest refugee camps in the world. There are over 80,000 people that call it home. Over half of them are children. Um, so it is a really desperate situation. These are people who have fled war in Syria, whose you know only fault in life is that their homes and their offices and their schools and their hospitals were bombed uh, and they were driven out of their country. Mm. And now they call this refugee camp home for almost 10 years. Um, the, the situation is dire, but they are making a life there. You know, they are trying to make the best life they can. And for young people, I think one of the most important things is to understand that there is some possibility for a brighter tomorrow. But to feel that way, you have to understand how to advocate for your rights. And you have to know how to avoid the challenges that can prevent you from thriving in life. And for the young people there, those challenges include things like child labor, child marriage, gender-based violence. So there are threats to these young people and the Arsenal Foundation is doing work there to, to help them um, be protected against those threats and then have the opportunity to uh, build a better future for themselves and their families. So that work includes, you know, stuff on the pitch, football, but also sort of broader education? Yeah, what they did, so they built these uh, football pitches throughout the camp. It's, it's obviously a sprawling camp. They built several pitches for boys and for girls. The girls um, camp uh, pitches have to be separate and have privacy screens around them. These are fenced in areas where the kids can go and play football and be educated and taught. And there are Syrian coaches working alongside North London-based coaches. The CDP coaches from the uh, Arsenal and the Community Program do cycles down in Jordan to help do this training and run this program. Mm -hmm. And they go there and they get training about football, which by itself delivers life lessons, right? About working yeah. as a team and, sure. and having uh, the ability to get back up when you've been knocked down and, and celebrate your successes. But also there are education centers there where they teach these resiliency skills uh, that I mentioned. And when you meet them, the thing that's incredible is you go from the pretty stark reality of camp life and then you go into these centers and it could be a park near where you live. You hear singing and celebrating and laughing and arguing over a call the referee made, right? All the, <laughs> the standard things you hear around football. But you meet the children and they are so hopeful and they are so appreciative just to have the wider world be a part of their, their experience in the camp. And 
when you talk to them, you talk to their mothers and their fathers, the one thing they all say is that their biggest fear is that this program will stop because it's the program that's broken child marriages for some of the girls or helped keep their kids out of, uh, of child labor. I spoke to one kid, Yamin, who was working, um, not going to school, not involved in the program, got into the program, got out of the labor camps, got into school, is back in school now, and, and actually has graduated to be a junior coach. So a lot of inspiring stories like that and just wonderful young people who need this help. And what the club is doing there is a really, really unique program. I think it's something that we should take a minute to be proud of our club. You know, we, we support this club for what they do on the pitch, but this is something they're doing that is uh, – incredibly impactful and we can be very proud of for sure it's extraordinary work and um you know i think everybody is aware that there are so many causes and so many people around the world that could use our help at times like mm -hmm. this when things um you know when times are, are particularly tough but you know to provide that kind of education and that kind of opportunity to these young people is is incredible and i think part of what makes this incredible is that the arsenal foundation is pretty much entirely supported by donations, right? Yeah. So what yeah. they can raise through fundraisers like this and other fundraisers and donations throughout the year is what keeps these programs going. Yeah, that's right. Because the Arsenal Community Program is funded by the club, but this is donation funded. And what's what I love about it is this fundraiser makes a material difference in the program's ability to continue and to potentially expand into the future. Mm. And so, you know, we can feel really good that we are doing something that is felt very keenly by not just the club, but by the people that they help. And I, I just want to say times are tough all over the world and it can be hard sometimes because you look around and you say, well, why not here? Or why not there? Why not here? And, and that's absolutely a fair response, but it can also create a, 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 almost an unwillingness to get started, right? A, a paralysis by analysis. And so what I love about being a supporter myself is the club said, this is where we're going to make an impact. And I'm going to support what they're doing, mm. right? And it makes it easy to, to pick one cause, one place, and get involved and make an impact that you can really feel. So this fundraiser is running throughout the month of April. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to have a, an event in, in New York, which our Patreon members know all about because it's sold out. And all the proceeds, the entire proceeds from that event, beyond the, the very basic expenses that we have in terms of just putting the event on, are going to go to this fundraiser. There are things that we will contribute and talk a little bit more about, I'm sure, during the month of April. But what else have you got beyond um, asking people to put their hands in their pocket? I know part of this is the ability to give people something that's worth, um, you know, worth something from an Arsenal perspective. You can help, but you can also get some uh, amazing prizes. I think prizes is not quite the right word, but you know there are there are things that are going to be available to people who who donate. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And the first thing I want to say, because I, I always say this uh, on our podcast when we run the fundraiser, is if you're unable, then you just appreciate you listening, hearing the story. Maybe it's a retweet on Twitter. Maybe it's telling a friend about it. Uh, the idea is that this is for anybody who feels that they can and feels that they're able to help. It's greatly appreciated. And if you do, everybody who donates uh, on the Just Giving page will have the opportunity to win a VIP ticket uh, to the Brighton game, the second to last home game of the season. They'll be there with uh, some of the podcasters, with um, Adrian Clark in the breakdown, because at this VIP box is a studio where they film the breakdown. You'll have a chance to actually participate in the filming of that show. There'll be food and drink provided as well. Um, plus, obviously, those great seats that come along with those VIP boxes mm. uh, to, to see 
what could be a, a historic moment. Who knows what how the points will look when when that game comes around. But uh, so that's available. And then if you prefer, you know, and if if you um, are interested, there is an auction site associated with this as well, where we're auctioning off some of those tickets as well. If you prefer to do that, and some club level tickets uh, for for the Chelsea game, for the Southampton game, and I've just been told uh, Ian Wright is going to go ahead and sign one of his shirts from his playing days, and that's going to be available to a donor as well. So any donation will uh, enter you to win one of those opportunities. So you're doing real good and also a chance to, to potentially get something really exciting in return. Like I said, this is running throughout the month of April. We'll have more details on it uh, on Ars blog, uh, on this podcast, but also across on your podcast, on the Arsenal Vision podcast. We will keep people up to date on what we can raise. I'm just looking now. At the time of recording, you only launched this yesterday. The time of recording, we're doing this on Sunday because I uh, just want to slot this into the Arscast Extra on Monday. It's already at 40,000, and there's a long way to go throughout the month. So... Thank you to everybody. The The generosity is unbelievable. I think um, we know, don't we, very well that the Arsenal community is a remarkably open, kind, and generous one. And uh, to support something that the club are doing that means so much for these children and for the people in that camp is, is amazing. So we'll talk again, no doubt, during the month, uh, Elliot. But um, keep up the great work and uh, let's see where this goes between now and the end of April. It'd be very hard for us not to talk, given that we will be uh, in New York City together doing an event. So if we don't talk, something will have gone well, majorly <laughs> amiss. Uh, and I do want to say, you, you called it our fundraiser, and I appreciate you saying it that way. But obviously, your participation in this, um, you know, with the the platform you have, makes it our fundraiser. So thank you for for letting me be a part of it. Well, my pleasure, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you in New York and keep an ear out, I guess, for you guys who unfortunately couldn't get tickets. Maybe we'll have some some other news for you about where we might be uh, on the Saturday night after the event as well. There might be something going on there. Who knows what might happen? Uh, Elliot, take it easy. Enjoy your Sunday, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to part three of this Arscast Extra. This is where we answer the questions that you've sent to us on Twitter, at Ryan Hun and at Arsblog, and also on the Discord uh, chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Ryan, as you are the guest, I will allow you to uh, take the first hit. Oh, first question kind. is yours. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, this one comes from Herr Tolf, who says... What do your Ben White tattoos look like? I mean, everyone <laughs> must surely have one by now. I don't have a Ben White tattoo yet. But would you get one? Would I get so a what would tattoo? You, what would your Ben White of, tattoo be? Would it be a tattoo of 
Ben White's torso with the lion tattoo across his chest, oh. <laughs> but instead of tattoo with it, a tattoo, instead of the instead of a lion, it's just Ben White. I love that. I think I'd just get uh, I'd get some text actually, maybe on uh, maybe on my arm, just saying I don't really watch football. <laughs> I think I'd get that. If people don't know what that is, right? There was uh, Ben White was on media duties afterwards, and. He was asked, he was on BBC Five Live, this is, this is what happened, uh, referencing the fact that the Man City game took place uh, before ours. manager said he wasn't going to let you watch a bit of the City game. Did, did you watch it and did, did you come into the game with that kind of hanging around your neck? Yeah, I don't watch football, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. just amazing. I, like, I don't watch just, football. It's up there that there have been some amazing... Uh, Ben White. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to give you more work, Andrew. But seeing as you're a master at this stuff, a, a Ben White interview montage, greatest hits at the end of the season would be would be so very well. I mean, I'm not sure it would be mega exciting, but it would be really, really funny. You know, like the uh, the one after the Liverpool game where Fiotov follows up saying, you know, how do you feel? How do you, how did you really deal with them starting four up front? Just, I didn't really notice. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> notice. Didn't really notice. <laughs> this Just, one was brilliant because it reminded me, I, I don't know, I've mentioned this uh, maybe with James before. Have you watched a show called Mr. Inbetween? No, I haven't. Right. It's a, I, I can't recommend this show highly enough. It's about a kind of, um, I guess he's a hitman of sorts, uh, an Australian guy. He's, his name is Ray Shoesmith. And there's an amazing scene where the police come to his door and it goes a little bit like this. And it just, Ben White's answer on, on Saturday reminded me of this. So this is, this is a clip from Mr. Inbetween. Afternoon, sir. Are you Ray Shoesmith? I don't answer questions. Can I help you? We're looking for a Ray Shoesmith. Does he live here? Do you require any other service? I don't answer questions. Okay, is there somebody here who can answer questions? I don't answer questions. Okay, I don't really know how to respond to that, sir. We just spoke to a woman by the name of Petra Jenkins. She says you threatened her and tried to menace her. Did she? Yeah. You got anything you want to say about that? I don't answer questions. Would you mind telling us why? I don't answer questions. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. He just I mean, stands there the whole time and says, oh, I don't answer questions. Do you know what's interesting about, about <laughs> White, though? I feel like if you actually sat him down and, and did a, you know, like did a proper conversation with him about just stuff or actually got him to, into breaking down his own performance, let's say, or his own, like mm. what he's thinking about, I think he'd just come alive, like in a football sense. I think he's one of those people. And he's of that, like, I think a lot of that generation as well are way more in tune with yeah this is all just a bit you know i'm mm. not like but you know doing media like is a is a really tricky job and i have a lot of sympathy who have to like throw a microphone in the face of people after after premier league games because you're never going to really get the most amazing stuff but i feel like it's i don't know i can understand why some people are just like who is this guy who do you think he is and actually i just find it hilarious because i know exactly that he's like he's probably you can see in his interactions that he's a sweetheart you know, and he's not really, he's not like a dick or anything. Yeah, but I mean, I think that there's this idea, isn't there, that because he doesn't really watch football, he somehow doesn't understand football or 
isn't passionate about it, you know, the way that you or I or many of the people yeah. listening to this, if there's a game of football on the TV, we'll sit down and watch it because, you know, football is is just all-consuming for us, whereas it's not for him. But I think the the you can't be as good as he is without understanding football, mm. without knowing the game, without understanding the tactical nuances of of you know how you're supposed to play at right back versus center half for example you know so the idea yeah. that this guy is just sort of like turning up every week oh look i've just played really well again wonder why you know he is absolutely learning and uh, has learned from Mikel Arteta and it might just be a job to him in a different way that you know i've seen footballers in the past criticize where they say well football is just a job for me we're all like oh, but football's the best thing ever you know, he may really, really enjoy his job. I don't. I just don't think you can do what he does without being super smart as well. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a job. As much as we are like fans and we kind of imagine ourselves pulling on the shirts of the teams that we support, it is a job for professional footballers, no matter how much they care about the clubs. And mm-hmm. if, 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 if Ben White not really watching football outside of the stuff that he's involved with means that he can focus and concentrate and is fresh and in a good enough headspace to to be the best player he can, then that's him being a full professional. Mm. Um, I actually kind of admire people, you know, people who have this because this kind of distance from football who are involved with it. Because I feel like some <laughs> some relationships with football are just not healthy, you know. Um, and even as someone who covers football for a living, mm. and I'm sure you've gone through this as well. I mean, I I, I was. Um, I'm just like, I don't know how people who who do club-specific stuff cope a lot of the time because sometimes it just, especially when things were really bad, yeah. it's just like, fuck, I can't even talk about this other thing elsewhere. It's because this is a club-specific podcast. For what we do, it's a lot more uh, general. And even then, like, there's been some times where I'm just like, this, there's just too much. There's mm-hmm. too much to focus on. There's too much going on. So actually getting some distance from football, far from it being a thing to criticize Ben, ben White for, I think it's something to be, to be admired, actually, and it's, it's actually very mature and sensible. If you, you know, to, to be that open about it as well. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Here is a question from the Discord from Lorcan, who said, and we talked we talked about this earlier, right? In terms of um, you know our front three, where you've now got a four um, with Trossard, Jesus, Sack, and Martinelli, and you know you can make a good case for for any of them starting. But Lorcan says, Trossard scored a hat-trick at Anfield earlier this year. It doesn't make logical sense, but psychologically, this seems to have a positive impact on footballers. Does he have to start? That's a tricky one. Mm. I I mean, Mikel Arteta doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who, uh, you know, might kind of underanalyze the details. Put it that way. We all love Mikel Arteta. It doesn't strike me as the most chill guy around. So I imagine that they've probably already started watching that tape of Brighton at Anfield. Remember, it was Deserby's, I think it was Deserby's first game as well as Brighton manager and a real glimpse of what to expect from Brighton for the rest of the season. I think psychologically it might be a good idea. I feel like if he thinks, if, if Arteta thinks that the way that he played uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold that day is something that will benefit Arsenal then I wouldn't be surprised to see him start there mm. um, but I, I think at the moment you have to look at anyone coming out of the lineup in that attacking trio 
plus well four, including mm. Saka as well, who didn't start the weekend. And you'd have to say they're unlucky. I think Martinelli's been in really good form. If he came out of ahead of the Liverpool game, I'm not entirely sure that that would be the best move though, because I just feel like there will be a lot of space down that left hand side and a lot of space to get in behind. Mm. If if Trossard was to play, I actually wouldn't be surprised to see him start as the nine again. If he was to start, that's where I that's where I'd put I'm not a betting man, but that's where I put sure. my money on him featuring. What about what do you think? I don't know. I mean I'm pretty comfortable with whatever decision he makes. Yeah, same. You know, when it comes to uh to these four players and how he uses them and how he utilizes them, I do feel like he started Gabriel Jesus against Leeds to give him the minutes to be able to start him against Liverpool away mm. because I think you know when you think back to that that Liverpool game earlier in the season the one that we won at the Emirates Jesus was brilliant that day he really yes, was I know he didn't get the goals but you know he was he was absolutely brilliant uh, so I think it was part of his rehabilitation to give him that hour and it was quite quite telling I think that the minute it got to an hour. Yep. And we were three goals up. He was off because they're they're very carefully considering his load. Whether that is going to make him fit enough to do 90 minutes at Anfield, I'm not 100% sure. So there might be some logic in starting Trossard and you can keep Jesus in reserve, you know, to give you a really good option off the bench. Uh, similarly, it could be the same with Trossard. Like you, you keep him on the bench and then you've got a yep. guy who's coming on who's already run these guys ragged and scored a hat-trick. I think all with his left foot as well, wasn't it? Something weird like that? I think that? so, yeah. 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 You know, so whatever permutation happens, I'm pretty okay with it, though, because I think the the quality of these players and the consistency of what they're delivering just means that you can be comfortable with um, switching things around a little bit without it you know, impacting the, the the balance of that front three as well, because I think Trossard has, has brought really nice balance too. Yeah, he's just like a, he's just a glue guy. He's just, he just, mm. he, he seems to like, he's been tried in three different positions on the front three. And whilst, yes, they maybe have, I mean, to be honest, I think for a first go on the weekend, the, the right-hand side with Ben White was, was pretty good. It's obviously not Bakayo Saka down that side, but they've had a lot more minutes together. Mm-hmm. I just think it's yeah you're you're kind of he's p- passing every single test in front of him and like you say I feel like with Gabriel Jesus coming back now whichever you know because I feel like sometimes we get a little bit fixated on the starting eleven mm. and it's formations and systems over the whole the whole game you know it's a fourteen fifteen that they'll be thinking about and whether they think Gabriel Jesus might be better suited for the last half an hour or Trossard might be better suited for the last half an hour whatever there'll be reasons why. Um, and I feel like there's extra, fo- like in terms of we've talked about passing tests and stuff, I feel like Anfield is a test that if Arsenal could come through this this season mm. in the league and win the game, then you're kind of running out of things left for Arsenal to do this season to tick off the list. For sure. Um, but Apart on that note, win at City, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I keep forgetting that Arsenal got to go to City and yeah. Oh, well. Uh, but on the Anfield thing, mm-hmm. uh, one from Blinkman says, Goodly morning. Care to speculate what will be this year's version of training with speakers blaring out the Anfield <laughs> atmosphere to pre- prepare for that game? Um, 
Good question. You can't necessarily say it worked last time. No. I think it goes the other way and just does the uh, does actually Arsenal chance because the away fans are amazing. Yeah. At home, the atmosphere has been amazing this season and Arsenal have played really, really well in response to that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So actually, just play a load of like, su- play the Super Mick Arteta chant just over and over, over again, and over really again. fucking loud. Or just have, do an hour and a half long training session with the Saliba chant on nonstop. Yeah, that won't kill their brains. That's like <laughs> sort of the torture that they do at Guantanamo Bay, isn't it? Just repeat songs over and over. Yeah. I mean, wasn't uh, Dua Lipa at the game on Saturday? So Apparently. maybe, yeah, she's a big Arsenal fan. So uh one of her great hits, perhaps? Yeah. Getting them in the mood for Anfield? I don't know what the music choice is going to be. I'm sure that Mikel Arteta will have something up his sleeve, though, you know, in order to, to prepare his team. Here's one from Al on Twitter, who's at Stwatter. He said, are you concerned that our defensive record at home is significantly worse than away this season, or does this bode well as, on paper... Our toughest tests left, Liverpool, Manchester City, Newcastle, are all away from home. And then he goes on to say, do you, do you trust Rob Holding in those three games if required? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned this one because I had this uh, bookmarked as well. Um, I'm not concerned about our defensive record at home, actually. Because, well, first of all, Arsenal scored more goals at home than away anyway. Um but I also just feel like the nature of which you have to play if you are going to get anything from Arsenal away from home mm. is either smash and grab or, you know, capitalizing on the space in behind where Arsenal... We, we talked about it in part one, about that you have this high risk, high reward, really. Mm. Um, and I feel like so much of... If you actually <laughs> if you actually break down Arsenal's, a lot of Arsenal games this season, it is hyper-aggressive. And I feel like... Uh, the main difference between the Premier League and other leagues, I feel, is that the strength is and and technical depth is deeper down the league. I feel like there's less of a gap. Mm. But, you know, um, you know, you look at Leeds, for example. I know that they they didn't start him, but they bring on Weston McKennie, who was literally at Juve, and while probably not hitting the heights that people expected him to yet, he was still pretty good in points. So, you know, and they're fighting relegation. So I feel like, no, it's not really anything I feel massively worried about. I feel like it's just, uh, it's just, um, what's the word? Like a kind of a symptom of the way that Arsenal are playing this season. Yeah. Well, just to sort of break it down, uh, if you look at the Premier League at away games only, Arsenal are top of the table with 34 points. Manchester City are second with 27 points. So there's a, mm. a seven-point gap there. At home, uh, we've scored 28 away from home and conceded just nine. Um, whereas at home, we're top of that table as well, uh, just a point out of Manchester City. But we've scored 42 and conceded 18. So I think you're right to say it is something that happens in tandem with the way we are expected to play at home, the way we try and play at home, but also the way we're expected to play at home. Because when you are at home, there is an onus on you to go and attack and that does leave that does leave space sometimes. Yeah. Also, there's a less of a gap, but Manchester City have also conceded more goals at home than they have away. Yeah. So. Um, just before you do your next question, there were a lot of... Uh, we keep getting this question. Uh, this one is from King Khan, who's that big arse fan. And he was talking about extending the Emirates. Is there any way we can extend the Emirates because of tickets and things like that? Uh, no, uh, we can't. That is the 
definitive answer on that. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that there's any other way of dealing with this ticket thing. I know that there was a, you know, the club have been doing things and you might have heard on Friday on the Arsecast we had a conversation about tickets and ticket demand, mm. but it's being asked again because there was a, a swathe of seats at the clock end, I think, that were empty all the way through the Leeds game and people are, people are a bit... Um, concerned about that a bit annoyed i suppose because mm. you know with tickets like goldust to see that many tickets uh or that many seats empty is is a bit frustrating if you're trying time after time after time to get onto the uh, ticket exchange and find something that's there but uh the answer to the can we extend the stadium question is no so it's a shame that isn't it because i feel like it's, it's something you, you ever you ever play that game where you're like what would i do if i was arsenal owner mm. you know and i feel like one of the first things i'd do is try and redevelop the north bank just into one one stand do you know what i mean move the ashburton army over there as well and actually get like a proper i don't want to say like the spurs stadium but they did really well with the stadium you know oh you mean uh, like a big sort of wall like yeah the... just a big just mm. an actual one proper home end you know take out the the middle mm. the, the the corporate seats and the boxes and just have one continuous home end That'd be great. That'd be amazing, but, actually. But, I mean, it's yeah. never going to happen, so... No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> uh, all right, your question. Um, I wanted to talk about this one from uh, Magnus Holmberg on Twitter. He said, what about the crazy elbow in Trossard's back? Completely off the ball. Trossard was down for quite a while, but no VAR check. Why is that not picked up at all? Surely it should be at least a yellow and a penalty since it's in their in their box. Now, I I found this really interesting because I missed it actually. It was your blog that prompted me to go and watch right. it again, and uh, I was really surprised at how little was made of it on the actual coverage. Same, yeah, because it doesn't look nice. And I know it's this this. I feel like I know I asked the question and answered it straight away, but I feel like. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that goes into the same kind of gray area of like scything down a player when they get a shot away. Yeah. I mean, the ball wasn't there. No. But to me, it looked like violent conduct because, you know, you're not making a challenge on the ball. He's mm. literally gone in, I think either with his shoulder or with the point of his elbow into Trossard's back, which I guess, you know, if you get it right there, you know, on the side of the ribs, that can be really painful. He might have knocked the yeah. wind out of him a little bit as well. Um, I understand the referee not seeing it, but I don't understand how in the VAR control room there isn't a decision to be made there. Now, maybe there's a rule. I don't know, but it just strikes me that if you come up behind a player in the box with the ball nowhere near him and then you hit him between the fucking shoulder blades and send him to the ground... That, I mean, that can't be legal, right? You can't, yeah. surely can't get away with that. So I don't know what the threshold is for VAR to intervene in a situation like that. Like, if he'd given him a slap around the head, surely then VAR would have um, said to the referee, you missed something, not your fault because you were looking the other way, but you've missed an act of violent conduct. So I don't really get why this wasn't, picked up on and mentioned more in, in commentary. Um, I was watching on Premier Sports um, with former Republic of Ireland international Gary Breen on the co-commentary, and he certainly mentioned it. He didn't mention it at the time. I'm pretty sure I heard him talk about the fact that he was a, a youth player at Arsenal. Um, 
and he seemed to be really enjoying how good Arsenal were. He was talking about the clock end and the North Bank singing at each other, uh, doing the, you know, where the clock end, where the North Bank chant. He was explaining the chants and everything. He seemed to be really getting on board with it. But they did mention it. But, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a sense that like, oh my God, the referees had a howler here or VAR have had a yeah. howler here. Whereas I think that is most definitely violent conduct. I think it's so tricky because what falls into violent conduct in a football sense is not what we would usually put violent conduct in the... Sure. I mean, it's still violent. I know that I'm not saying like, God, that makes me sound quite bad. You know what I mean? I don't mean it like that, but you know when like... Yeah. You know what I'm saying. The football's weird. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't figure out what I think should happen here, which I think shows, me how, shows you how kind of weird... Uh, <sighs> I, weird the actual situation was because it was just like it was nowhere near the ball they weren't really he didn't like fling an elbow in his face there wasn't any grappling going on it was just a little bit like oh i it, the way that it looked actually was like he tried you know how some some footballers do this really well they kind of style out a little bit of, of like just shithousery or mm. nastiness and it's like rocco goes to make a run for the ball Trossard's in his way and he kind of stars it out like, oh, you just got in my way. Because I think he throw does he throw his arms up afterwards as if to be like, oh, you know, make it look like you just blocked me when I was running for the ball. And maybe that's what he gets away with. I don't know. Yeah, he just sort of, yeah. I'm just watching it again here. I mean, the ref is looking at it. I just watching the replay here. Ball comes in from Zinchenko. And yeah, he just basically shoulders him right in the back. It looks like it's quite low down the back as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and the yeah. referee is looking at it, but I mean, the thing is, right, if that had happened at the other end, if, let's say, our friend Granit Xhaka had had one of his moments and done that and the referee gave a penalty, my suspicion is that there would be 10% of people going, ah, that's not really a penalty. Come on. He's just sort of showing him he's there. The other 90% would be saying, well, that was really fucking stupid. You gave the referee a decision to mm -hmm. make there. What do you do that for? I mean, I, it's borderline a penalty to me, but... It's just one of those ones where it's like, no one really notices that it happens, which doesn't mean it's not wrong. Mm. But I, I feel like it's just one of those ones that's um, we have this thing on Stadio where it's kind of like, is it you know spiritually offside? Like spiritually onside goals <laughs> that get given offside. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, is this kind of spiritually a penalty, but it's not literally a penalty or vice versa? Mm. It's one of those that falls down to this, like in an ideal world, if you did that to someone, then you would be punished for it. But I'm also in this camp at the moment where like, I feel like so many penalties are rewarded for really minor footballing crimes, mm. let's say, that there needs to be... Do you know what would be perfect? This is one of those perfect things where you're like a yellow or a red, whichever the, the law states, and like an indirect free kick. Do you know what I mean? Like one of those. But Maybe. in the current laws, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I wonder, I wonder as well if, you know, it was something that happened in the 42nd minute and nil-nil, would it be viewed differently than, yeah. than something that happened in the 82nd minute when it's 3-1 and Arsenal are on top and dominating and, and everything else? And yeah. look... I don't need to make this decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, I think that's yeah. what it is. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. let's, uh, let's just carry on. And look, within 
within a minute, Arsenal score their fourth goal. So it's it's moot, really. Okay, here is one from the Discord. It is from uh, KJ Doha Gunner. Who said, I read a piece by Gabriel Marcotti on ESPN where, uh, ESPN where he said the rule of thumb was if the number of games remaining is less than or equal to the number of points separating two teams, the team behind will not catch the one ahead. Do you think this rule is reliable? Uh, no, I don't want to <laughs> answer that at all because I just feel like whatever happens, it'll be clipped at the end of the season. Um. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. I know it sounds like a massive cop-out, but I don't, like, basically, the rule I go by, and it's super boring, but it's basically, when it's not mathematically possible to catch Arsenal, <laughs> then it's on. That's my, <laughs> that's my rule. I think I like uh, your rule, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, listen, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I think this is. I think there's. I think there's a lot of coping going on because, mm. and some of it, I, 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 I think is very healthy, and some of it, I feel like is a. I don't want to go too deep into it because this is we're in a very good position. But I think some of it is symptomatic of where modern football actually is, is that you genuinely can't believe that you're in for a shout of the title at the moment because of the financial might of other clubs around. Um, that, you just. It's almost just like, I don't really want to think about it until it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, 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 basically, as long as I keep seeing eight points uh, and City have a game in hand, it would be amazing if they play their extra game and it's still eight points. But like I said earlier in the show, just it's, uh, it's very, very boring, but it's just like, right, one game down, another game down. What do you think? Do you, do you get into... Uh, like I, someone sent me a video last week um, uh, just sent me a message on Twitter going, here is a video I've made which shows that Arsenal could win the title by winning just six of the last 10 games. Will you have a look? And I was like, no. No fucking way. No, no. I'm not looking no. at that. I'm just, just not. I'm, I'm just sage. So, I'm just burning sage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, no. I'm completely in one game at a time territory. Absolutely 100% in that. And, um, you know, that's no disrespect to anybody's video making skills or anything like that. I just can't. I can't allow myself to do it, you know. We, we, um, I mean, I'm, it'd be wrong to say I'm not daydreaming. Of course I am. Like everybody, you know, what might happen. But if I allow myself to think about it too much, I'm going to get a, an ulcer or something. And I don't, I, think, I don't want I, one. Do you know what I think it is? I think because, like, there's been so much, and again, I kind of don't want to go too, a big picture mm. whatever but i think there's been so much shift in like football culture and football at the top level you know we've seen the pool of clubs that you can realistically win big trophies with reduce and reduce and reduce over time mm. uh now listen arsenal aren't leicester you know they are they aren't like this isn't like if brighton won the league um but i feel like it's this it's kind of a little bit of that thing but also not where you you feel like actually this shouldn't be mm. cases like this shouldn't be a kind of like holy shit actually someone might win the league that isn't Manchester City or Chelsea or you know and that, and that, the, the thing about it is is because those clubs almost always go on and do it 
that's yeah. the other sort yeah. of nagging voice you have in the back of your head yeah. that like as good as Liverpool were in that period where they were just unbelievable going toe-to-toe with Manchester City, City mostly came out on top. But do you know what's really interesting as well is that Arsenal haven't even done this for a full season yet and it's fucking exhausted me. <laughs> like uh, to the point where like I genuinely don't know how Liverpool did it, you know. Uh, and, and I think I feel like it's one of those we get, football is so like the cycle of football is so intense and rapid that I feel like there are things that just happen and go and people don't really pay much attention to them I genuinely think in 10-15 years time mm. people will look back at that run that Liverpool had and be like how did they do that actually mm. because it's it's it's, it's really tough trying well, uh, to keep Man City at bay or keep up with them is, is this season not perhaps a, an illustration of what that costs you yeah, yeah, you know? totally. And we saw it the league, the season after they won the league as well, mm. where they just really struggled. Um, I think the the you're seeing how because you know it's, Man City have essentially infinite resources, mm-hmm. essentially, and you know you look at the strength that they have in the depth, and they you know they can rest Holland and they can and well not rest him, he's injured, but also Foden's out because of his uh, appendix surgery, and it's like it's like nothing. Like take Foden and Holland out of any other Premier League side, and you notice a difference. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's yeah. I know we've kind of gone off track again, but yeah, basically, as long as it is literally not possible to catch Arsenal, is when I start really believing. Okay, that's my short answer. Let's do one more. I'll do one more just before we finish because we've got to get going and get this out for people to yeah. listen to. So this one comes from the Discord as well from Gabrielle Three. Gabrielle with a th- tiny little three as opposed to Gabrielle squared, Gabrielle tripled, whatever the mathematical term of that is. I don't know. He said, hypothetical time. You can pick one of three scenarios that you'd like to occur during the run-in. A, no further injuries and Saliba returns for Anfield away. B, an early goal in every game. C, guaranteed wins at Anfield and the Etihad. C, I think. It's hard not to think of C, even if B might be over the course of nine games more beneficial. But I do do think that even though I don't think Arsenal have to, I feel like those two results would be so seismic in terms of what it would do for morale. Mm -hmm. Liverpool less so, I think, because Liverpool aren't involved in the title race, but I feel like for City, it would be quite damaging. Mm. But yeah, to win at the Etihad, I think is would be so big. Yeah, is that? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I I don't think. I don't think I would pick different. Even if I could talk myself into B, I think you know the 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 psychological impact of those two wins is probably more positive than yeah. an early goal in most of those games. You know, as you're going, oh, you go, oh, we've we've beaten beaten Liverpool away, okay. There's another one. Beating City think, away, there's another one. Yeah, I know? think also if if Arsenal if we do go on and win the league, then mm-hmm. those having those two moments again, like doing the double over Liverpool in a season that we've won the league, for example, or winning at the Etihad in the season that we tip, you know, beat Man City to the league. Mm-hmm. That looks good on the highlight reel as well. Yeah. You know. Would be. Um, yeah. Can I ask you one more question before sure. you go? Because I had put pointed this one out because okay. uh, I think it's quite so Pierre Hines says, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is to you, 
At which point will you completely phase James out hearing there is a much younger McNicholas who could be on a smaller contract <laughs> with much more potential? <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to give uh gonna have to give the young fella a bit of time you know the vocabulary <laughs> probably at this moment isn't up there with his pop you know you're gonna loan him out yeah he needs to go on loan <laughs> we'll send him on loan uh no again congratulations to james and yeah, massive uh, congratulations to camille and uh, ryan thank you very much for standing in so thanks ably. very much for having me it's a real honor my pleasure you can find ryan on the stadio podcast uh, at the ringer fc uh, and also part of righty's house with this guy i don't know ian something um you might know who he is so uh we leave it there for now again ryan thanks a million Thanks, Andrew. Uh, to you guys, thank you very much indeed for being here. We will have an episode of The 30 for you over on Discord in which we look back on all the weekend's Premier League action. That will be available for you a bit later on. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. And don't forget that every single penny uh, that we earn from Patreon this month is going to go to that fundraiser. You'll find a link to uh, the Just Giving page if you can give something uh, and help the Arsenal Foundation. Uh, it would be hugely appreciated. You'll find a link in the show notes. For now, we'll leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go. James's bye-bye. <laughs>